Welcome to Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, an admission counselor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And on this show, we aim to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort your soul. And we do that all with God's Word. God's Word has been given to us for these reasons. We live in the wasteland of this fallen world, and uh, we have quite the foe out there, an old evil foe that we must contend with, but we also have a fierce foe in here within our own sinful hearts. And our only defense, our only defense is Christ on the cross. That's what this show is all about. So if something in today's show piques your interest, raises a question or prompts a response that you'd like to share or talk about, you can send me any of your brain buzzing Bible brilliance via my contact form. Just email me at tyrellbramwell.com. The easiest way to get that done, just go to tyrellbramwell.com. Down at the bottom of the page, you'll find right there on the homepage, just scroll to the bottom. You'll find a button. It says contact. You can't miss it. You can get that done that way. Or if you're a, more of a social media person, you can DM me on Instagram or on Facebook. Then my handle, no matter what social media platform you're on, is always at Tyrell Bramwell. Okay, later in today's show, we are going to have the pleasure of talking with Reverend Sam Schulteis. He will be teaching us about how the uh, Advents O antiphons invite us to use our imagination. So stick around for that. And in the last segment of the show, I want to talk to you about how our Lord's incarnation at Christmas is about freedom. Freedom from the impersonal policies that we love to live by. So stick around for that as well. But first, let's welcome our first guest, a man you've heard on the show before. A man that you've heard on other podcasts and across the interwebs on other YouTube videos and things like this, including videos posted by a former host of this very show, Cross Defense, the Reverend Jonathan Fisk. Our guest today is the Assistant Professor of Exegetical Theology here at CTSFW, the Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz. Welcome, brother. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. Now that I got all Good. that out of the way, it's going really well. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> so um, in this first segment, we're going to equip the mind. And I got to just for the listener's sake, I got to tell you how I went about inviting Dr. Kuntz onto this show. Uh, as an admission counselor, I get to host prospective students. And one student sat in on one of uh, Dr. Kuntz's recent classes. And then he and I had a great conversation over lunch about it. And uh, I thought, well, psh- I'm going to share that with y'all. So I've asked Dr. Kuntz to condense what he was lecturing on that day down to uh, you know enough content for this first segment and to deliver the goods. So Dr. Kuntz, what are we talking about? We're talking about a way that you can find out what scripture does, what it's for. Um, we talk a lot in the Lutheran church about what scripture is, uh, that it's inspired, that it's inerrant, that it's authoritative, that it's infallible, and that is all totally true. But in the very place where uh, Paul affirms that Scripture is breathed out by God, that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he also talks about ways that Scripture can be used. So uh, both from Second Timothy 3 and also from Romans chapter 15, um, people over the years have come up with this way of remembering what how can, scripture can be used as the fivefold use of scripture. Okay. So, if I can if I can just read 2 Timothy uh, yeah. 3:16 real quick, that'll get us that'll get us into it. Um, Paul writes uh, speaking to Timothy, 
all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, or the Greek also could mean just useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then he says that the man of God, that is in Second Timothy specifically preachers, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And there's four in there, teaching, reproof, that is rebuking false teaching, correction, kind of setting people straight, um, and for training in righteousness that is showing you the way you should go. And then also from Romans 15, verse 4, you get uh, mentioned that Scripture is written that we might have hope. And so that that fifth use of Scripture is can be called things like uh, for comfort or for consolation, um, so that we who are living in dark times, both when Paul was writing Romans and today, can have hope and comfort. Excellent. So you really condensed your uh, your hour long class into <laughs> well, <clears throat> three minutes. Good job. Yeah, yeah, no. That's, <laughs> <laughs> but what what we were talking about with the guys was this idea that um, we should speak well when we speak publicly. We're talking a lot about rhetoric okay. in that specific class right now. And I, one of the things I was trying to say was that ancient pagans can be very helpful. We were talking about Cicero, the Roman orator, in that case, when, when Noah was there. But uh, they can be helpful, especially for the different ways that people can be moved or delighted when you speak. But we were also saying that scripture itself indicates how it is to be used. And a lot of times this is sort of new for people um, because, you know, Lutherans are very familiar with the law and the gospel. The law shows us our sin. The gospel shows us our savior. And that is true. But what's interesting um, and the, the, play, the way that I got into this as sort of a, a way of talking about scripture was by reading old, that is, usually stuff that's in German, old preaching textbooks. Oh. And, I, and I noticed that they didn't talk about preaching the same way necessarily that the people that I was familiar with in the present day talked about it, right? Where in the present day, we talk about law and gospel and kind of that's how the right. sermon is divided up and everything. And they don't say that, no, that's wrong, that's evil. No, of course they don't say that, but they, they don't spend as nearly as much time on on how sermons should sound in talking about law and gospel, the way that they talk about how the sermon should be constructed is that you read the passage of scripture, you figure out what it says. And I know that that sounds kind of obvious, but then the really big difference is they say, okay, now if you want to figure out kind of how to serve this up, let's say, if you think of the preacher, like sort of a chef, how do I serve up the food? Then they get into this fivefold use thing. Okay. And of course I had read that, passage of scripture, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of building sermons or listening to sermons. And the thing that it does is not that, I mean, I guess you could say, um, some of it you could say, okay, it's law or it's gospel, like using scripture for comfort is going to be gospel, right? Using scripture for uh, correction is going to be law, right? right? But some of it doesn't quite fit into those, like teaching. So if I'm in the pulpit and I'm teaching, Jesus is the eternal son of God, that could be law or it could be gospel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of a broader, it gives you sort of, if you're like a chef, it's kind of like you knew how to like cook a chicken in one way. And now you know how to cook like beef and chicken and lots of other things in a lot of different ways. It kind of gives you more options. 
And that's what I noticed in these older preachers. And so that's how I got into this. And that's that's why the guys and I were talking about this on Monday. It's fascinating, extremely yeah. fascinating. And, you know, in my house, we love to eat Mexican food. And I have a, I have a running theory that every Mexican dish is just a taco delivered in a new way. Just, they're all just tacos. Right. <laughs> so, so what you're talking about to me, what I'm hearing is you're, you're telling the guys, you're, you're talking about how we, uh, you know, we make our different Mexican dishes. Right. How, how we serve it up. Right. You know, does this confuse, does it, by opening up those doors beyond law gospel, you know, parameters, like beyond the, you know, the, the system, does it confuse guys at the seminary? I, yeah, I think, I mean, some of them are confused, but I think a lot of people realize, uh, whether they're at the seminary or not, that a lot of our sermons sound the same week in and week out, that it's almost like predictable down to the minute. Is the pastor going to sound sort of angry or is he going to talk very sweetly or whatever? And I think everyone realizes that that probably doesn't do justice to every text of scripture. And the, the other eye-opener that people have is that they'll go back and they'll read a Luther sermon. They'll, they'll read, you know, the guy that wrote the book, Law and Gospel, C.F.W. Walther, they'll read one of his sermons, because we have the, all, a lot of this stuff in English now. And they'll read that and they'll realize this doesn't exactly sound the way I sound when I'm preaching, or this doesn't exactly sound the way my pastor sounds when he's preaching. So why is that? And I think part of the reason that that is, is that we were using kind of a different way of building sermons in the past that give you a, a little bit more. Yeah. It, it broadens your horizons in serving up tacos. You know what I mean? It's not that you're going to, it's not that suddenly, Oh, I, I'm using the fivefold use. So I'm not going to serve up Christ, right? but, but it helps me build my sermons in ways that have more variety and more, maybe it's it's easier to to apply the text a little bit better a little bit more precisely um and you know and and I, the guy that i got this from reinhold peeper is the only guy that wrote a book on preaching that was trained by cfw walther author of long gospel how to preach and so to it was like okay so the guy that taught him how to preach didn't tell him to neglect law and gospel but he did teach him this fivefold use thing. So um, I, I found it to be pretty helpful just for my own preaching. And when the guys hear it, they generally react very positively because nobody wants to know exactly what's going to happen in the sermon every week. You know, I mean, yeah, it, you want to avoid yeah. formula. You don't want to be right. just the same show every single week. Nobody would tune in, <laughs> right? Right, right, uh, right. There's, there's always got to be, you know, they got, there's got to be that uh, that turn, that twist, that something, whatever it is. Right. Um, and and so basically what you're saying is let the text determine how you preach it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that this this is something that um, I've been discussing with my guys uh, talking about the Gospel of Matthew just very recently is that, you know, you'll have a text like Jesus tells you at the end of the Lord's Prayer, as well as at the end of uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, that if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. And um, when we talk about this, I tell the guys, you know, I've heard sermons that flatly contradict that. And the guys are familiar with that as well, you know, generally when they get here, even the first year guys. And I think the issue there is that as a preacher, you don't want to, obviously you don't want to contradict scripture. You also don't want to neglect everything that's there in the text, because the reason that, that a preacher does what he does is not because he himself is so interesting or impressive or great. It's because the text 
the text of scripture, what is inspired by God, allows him to speak. So he says what scripture says, and he doesn't say what scripture doesn't say. And that applies to every sermon. And I think that the fivefold use as a way of thinking about sermons and how you build them and what you're listening for helps you, gives you more room and more variety and more capacity to take in, or if you're a preacher, to preach everything that scripture's saying and not just the stuff you're familiar or comfortable with. Which really might be beneficial in areas of reproof and correction, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think especially the stuff that is awkward to say, right, or that or that is hard to hear, you know, if you say, okay, scripture's not just here, the Bible's not just here to make me feel good. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it does, but it's also here to show me what would really hurt me, or what is really wrong, or what is really against the scripture. And Paul's very clear here in 2 Timothy 3 that that's also part of why God has given us the Bible, right? Because you have to ask yourself, you know, what is this here for? Why do I have a Bible or why is it sitting on my shelf? You know, it's not just there to sit on my shelf. It's there so that I know what is good, what is wrong, what would be helpful, what would be harmful to my salvation. That's all. Those are all things that scripture is accomplishing. Does the long gospel paradigm or formula or however we want to talk about it in a mm -hmm. good way, right? Uh, does it, does it conflict with this? Does it butt its head against this idea of the yeah. fivefold or does it serve it? Uh, it serves it because it's interesting when they talk about law and gospel. So this is both Walther in his pastoral theology textbook and Reinhold Pieper in mm -hmm. his homiletics textbook. Um, they talk about law and gospel not as a way necessarily to like build a sermon and sort of divide up the verses, but as a kind of an overarching principle for what a preacher of the New Testament is doing. Sure. Okay. So it's it's kind of bigger than just, okay, here's verse four. When I preach verse four, do I tell the people that they're sinners or do I tell them that Christ is their savior? Well, verse four might just say that, Jesus and the Father are one, so I need to say that. The way that I apply that has to do with law and gospel because the the whole my whole ministry has to do with showing people their sin and showing them their savior as the only way of salvation. So when they talk about law and gospel, it's not so much like uh law and gospel is not sort of like the hammer and the nails right? Or, or the wood that I use to build the house. Law and gospel is, okay, how do I, how do I design and put up a house overall that's going to stand, right? And so law and gospel is a really big concept for the New Testament ministry in general, which is really how Paul talks about law and gospel, Moses and Christ in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Throughout history, as the church has been preaching and teaching and doing the things, you know, these five fold uses, um, mm -hmm. is there any sort of clear indication of, you know, when heresies enter, are they breaking any of these uses? Or are they, are they veering away from this kind of idea? I'm, and I'm speaking specifically of the preachers and, you know, yeah. uh, those who have the office of proclaiming the word and doing it rightly. Is there any way of tracking that or kind of identifying that as you're teaching the guys and as they're kind of thinking about it in the big picture and where we've been and where we want to make sure we stay? Does that come into the equation at all? Yeah, I think uh, 
and the way that I teach it is that when you're when you see this as kind of an um, a structural principle for how to use scripture, uh, whether for yourself or in your preaching, um, understand that that means that those things are all in play and that it's not just the things that you like or the things that you enjoy talking about or or the false teachers you enjoy rebuking because some of you know some of the guys and maybe all of the guys some of the time love to rebuke false teaching you know um (laughs) so which is fine but you know people also need to know like not just what is poisonous but also what is what is wholesome so you know all of those uses are there so that you can use scripture in the most profitable possible ways for your here and um they're not there so that you know every single verse can be chopped up instead of being chopped up two ways with the long gospel gets chopped up five ways with this it's really there so that you remain open to all the different ways scripture can be put to use for people and i think that helps you be flexible and clear and careful when you're applying scripture to god's people is uh is peeper's book in english or is that only in german uh it's currently only in German. Uh, I'm you, working on working translating on it? it. Yeah, because it, it's just so valuable. Yeah, um, great. Thank you. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it's been lost for about a hundred years, more than that now. So kind of so, sad, okay. but let true. me ask you because I know you're a very well-read guy. Why? Like, how do we how do we have these treasures that just yep. take forever to get into <laughs> our tongue? I mean, it's English, yeah. man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I I think it's partly because. Uh, the the people that said that transitioning into english would be bad they weren't as wrong as maybe people make them out to be in the sense that when you when you move out of one culture into another you do lose a lot and um that was true and it also meant that our preaching became affected by a lot of other factors and a lot of other teachers uh that maybe weren't as alive to some of the things that we had emphasized in the past and so uh, we were affected by that. That mattered. I think this is all part of uh, accomplishing something or or at least keeping going on something that um, maybe we didn't actually do all the way in the 1920s and 1930s. And that is becoming fully American, not in the sense that our theology changes, but that we become fully fluent in expressing ourselves well and clearly and truly uh, in English the way that came very easily because there were 500 years behind it in German. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, God's blessings on translating that. Thanks for condensing your, uh, your lecture for this <laughs> uh, segment of the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks Adam. Don't go away. We'll be back to excite your imagination in just a minute. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Okay, welcome back. Having equipped your mind, let's turn our attention to your imagination. And to do that, we have our 
wonderful regular guest, our Imagineer, the Reverend Sam Schulteis from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Milton, Washington. He is with us um, to talk about, I believe, the O Antiphons today. So let's uh, get into that. Sam, how are you? Yeah, doing well. How about yourself, Ty? I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, Christmas is right around the corner. You know, we're... Yes, sir, it is. Th- this uh... is the last show uh, before the, the KFUO's uh, 12 Days of Christmas. So it's really the right last on. show of the okay. year for us. Okay, fantastic. All right, so uh, yeah, uh, let's let's dive into the imagination. Absolutely. So I thought uh, last week we were looking at the prophets a little bit, and that just kind of sparked my imagination, uh, <laughs> along with uh, being the being the seventeenth today that we're recording, and I think this airs on the Monday, right? Yep. And, uh, yep. You know, so we're we're in the middle of these last days, these last few weeks, or last excuse me, last week, last seven days, right before uh, Christmas comes, and uh, the the church for a long time, I think, since going back even to the fourth century, if I read correctly from a few places. Uh, has used these uh, these things called the O antiphons, these verses, these kind of collections of collections of words from Scripture, images from Scripture, uh, prophecies about Christ that are fulfilled in His birth and His life and His death and resurrection for us. And they give us a lot of well, they give us a lot of power-packed good gospel theology. Um, there, there's a historical side to this whole thing too, but um, for our purposes, I wanted to look at these O antiphons from kind of the perspective of the of the imagination, right? That how right. they how they speak to our imagination and call us to use our imagination to uh, rejoice in Christ who comes to us uh, as you know, as the famous hymn that is based off of these says, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? God with us. So, yeah, that was that was my thought for. I was hoping today. you were going to bring that up in the introduction there, or the uh, the hymn that so many people are familiar with. Yeah, it's a well loved hymn, well known, and for a lot of good reasons. It's one of my, I think, one of my Advent favorites. I mean, there's a ton of them. I think all of my. A lot of my favorite hymns tend to be in the Advent and Christmas section anyway. And uh, part of that is the same reason the O antiphons, I think, are such a rich treasure for our church, is that the language that is used there, the, the promises that are given there, uh, not only you know instill faith and hope and comfort in Christ, but they also, I think, along the way, awaken and inspire, and, you know, and God uses that to speak to our imagination. So the O antiphons are a wonderful uh, part of the Advent tradition and uh, something that I know a lot of people love and enjoy this time of the year. So I thought we'd look at that, uh, look at at least right. a couple of them. There are seven of them. And, uh, you know, to, to, to do justice to just a couple even, uh, you know, would take a, a bit longer, but that's okay. I thought we'd look at at least a couple of some of the, maybe some of the lesser known ones. Okay. Uh, yeah, just to, fun. you know, give us some imagination, uh, you know, awaken our imaginations in these final days of Advent here. Great. Let's do it. Yeah, so I thought first we'd look at uh, the the root of Jesse. Now this one, you know, each one it kind of gets assigned a date, right? Uh, so the nineteenth of December. This will be, uh, let's see, it will be or was uh, Saturday, right? <laughs> uh, December nineteenth, depending on when you uh, when you listen to this, right? That's right. Uh, it, it'll be in the past, uh, in the future for some of us, right? Uh, at any rate, uh, the, the root of Jesse. Right? This so this comes out of Isaiah chapter eleven. Uh, among other places in Scripture, where uh, you know the Lord describes uh, His Messiah, His coming Christ, as well, <laughs> kind of an odd thing to, at least in our minds, uh, a root or a shoot that comes out of a stump, right? So here's what Isaiah 11 verse one says: There shall come forth from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And I don't know about you, but and maybe our, our listeners too, when 
when you imagine God, I think a lot of the times we, this might not be our first thing that we imagine God as, right? A, right. a root. <laughs> I mean, if you looked at roots, I mean, like a potato, right? That's comes from roots, right? Or a radish <laughs> or, um, you know, a little root rhizome that grows hops for, for beer, right? Uh, yeah. They don't look all that attractive. They're not all that, I mean, they're tasty maybe when you do things with them in culinary ways, but you know, it, it doesn't look all that great. You hide them in the ground for umpteen amount of months or a certain amount of time. And then they, they do something miraculous and wonderful, right? And, you know, it's kind of funny how how our Lord works this way. A lot of these O antiphons, as in a lot of the other ways that our Lord works throughout the scriptures, often appears, kind of, on the one hand, contrary to our imagination or opposite of what our imagination would expect. You know, we, when we think of gods and, you know, uh, divine beings, I think the Greco-Roman pantheon is kind of a good example of if mankind was to create our own deities, this is what it would look like, right? right. You know, big, powerful Zeus, right? Mighty Athena, you know, all these different things. And our Lord comes in completely opposite, humble, lowly, often hidden kinds of ways, a, a root of Jesse. I mean, how <laughs> how much, how, how strange could you get? And yet how wonderful, right? How, how beautiful. Um, you know, a, a dead stump, a, a dead stump looks like nothing, you know, uh, here in the Northwest where we live, we, we see dead stumps all the time. And we see, you know, old growth trees that have fallen down. And then it's really cool when you go on hikes around here, even just in the neighborhoods, you'll see this stump and then you'll see this little shoot growing up out of it, you know, or you'll see the old growth tree on its side and you'll see new trees coming, coming out yeah. of it. Right? And, you know, this is what our Lord is doing here. This is the picture of himself in Christ. He's coming to the dead stump, uh, the dead, you know, the deadness and brokenness and fallenness of Israel and of humanity. And he comes as one of us, right? As a as a as man, uh, as a branch out of the shoot, out of the family tree of Jesse, and yet he comes to give life, right? and he is life. And so then he, in turn, grafts us into himself. Uh, he joins us to his cross, the tree of life, uh, where you know where in the garden we were overcome by the tree, by the serpent. Now in Christ, our second Adam, you know, Christ overcomes. Right? He takes our death and gives us life. So you've got a lot of beautiful things going on here, just in that image, uh, that wonderful, I think, again, imaginative theology and language yeah. of, you know, of Isaiah there uh, telling us what kind of, what kind of savior do we have? Who is this God who comes? Who is this servant? Oh, he's the root of Jesse. And there's a lot of old Testament stuff packed into that. Right. Yeah. What a, what a wonderful picture to use our imaginations to see. And when you mentioned the stumps that you see there in the Northwest, I remember Ferndale, uh, and anytime you go on a hike, you know, national park, state park, these sorts of things, if you go on a ranger led hike, they always mm. point this out that when, you know, like when a tree falls, that it creates its own like ecosystym, right? It's right. Just, there's mm -hmm. a whole habitation that wouldn't exist if that tree hadn't fall, fallen. Mm -hmm. um, and that, yeah, if you're not aware of what goes on around a stump, you right, just might right. not understand this peculiar mm -hmm. phrase, right? Yeah, know. it is. A, to our ears, it's kind of strange, right? You think, yeah. oh, okay, great. Uh, somebody chopped down a tree, right? And, <laughs> uh, you know, here comes Paul Bunyan again or something like that. But no, right. this, is a, this is a wonderful, beautiful, comforting image uh, that, you know, where there's death, there's life. Where there's the old fallen creation, Christ comes to bring in a new creation, to make all things new, as he talks about in Revelation. And uh, yeah, the root of Jesse, uh, December 19th, gives us that, uh, that good word of comfort there. Oh, that's beautiful. 
So another one of my favorites is the one that comes up on the next day on the 20th of December. And actually, I should have done this with the first one. So before I pivot to the next one on the 20th, let me let me just read the, the there's the hymn versification you can you know hear oh, and yeah, sing yeah. in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But there's the there's these O antiphons that they're based on. Here's the one that was uh, uh, we're just talking about, the Root of Jesse. Right? O Root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nations will do homage, come quickly to deliver us. You know, and each antiphon has that sort of similar call for God to rescue or to deliver or to redeem us, uh, to save us, right, in in whatever way we're calling upon him. And again, using our imagination to do so, because I think, as we've talked about so many times, God in his scriptures, in his wisdom, uh, in his imagination, calls us to use our own imaginations. And so he comes to us in in these kinds of ways, right? So December 20th, the, the next one, this is the key of David. Uh, this is another one that's kind of, it strikes our ears a little bit, huh, strange. That's a little bit of an odd way of speaking about God. But I think I think there's some beautiful scriptures behind this as well that help unpack that. Here's the, the text of the antiphon itself. Okay. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can close. You close and no one can open. Come and rescue the prisoners who are in darkness and in the shadow of death. And already in the just the language of the antiphon itself, right? You hear that language of yeah. opening and closing, and you know, again, a key might sound like an odd image of God. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, they're kind of boring looking, right? They're just a key. <laughs> like, okay, you know, it, it opens a door, it closes it. But this is what this is what Christ comes to do, right? He comes to open heaven to us, right? He comes to open, uh, you know, to free us, to unlock, to release us from, from captivity to sin and death and uh, slavery and evil and, and the devil. And uh, there's this old uh, early church saying, and I forget exactly who wrote it, who said it, um, but the, the cross of Christ right, is the key to paradise, right? Mm. Uh, and it sounds way cooler in Latin, of course, which is where it was written, <laughs> originally written, but I, and the Latin escapes me at the moment. But Right? That's that's what's going on here, right? That uh, Christ is the is the key of David, right? And we hear this in uh, oh, it's in Isaiah twenty two verse twenty two. Let's see if I can flip to that real quickly here, as well as in Revelation. So, uh, let's see here. Oh, there it goes. All right, I will place on his shoulder. This is Isaiah. I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Right, so the, you know, the, the Lord has this, he is the one with the authority, right? If you have the keys, and we talk about this in the church, you know, in right. the catechism and in the scriptures, uh, the office of the keys, right? That authority that God gives to forgive sin and to withhold forgiveness when when necessary, but primarily to forgive sin. And this is what Christ comes to do in his, you know, in his uh, perfect office as savior, as high priest, as, you know, the, the ruler of the kings of, of all, of all things. Uh, he comes to open, uh, open heaven, right? And, and there's this beautiful contrast. You know, the Garden of Eden is closed in way back in Genesis, and then it's barred, right? Adam and Eve are exiled. They, they can't go back in. There's a flaming sword and cherubim to guard it. But now in Christ, right, Christ opens heaven, right? He yeah. opens paradise. Uh, he he does it by his death on the cross, right? The temple curtain is torn in two. Uh, the tomb is open. So, you know, Christ closes our sin and death in the grave, and he opens eternal life and paradise to us. You know, and all of this is captured by this image uh, from the scriptures and in this O antiphon of Christ as the key, right? Uh, he is, and Jesus does this all the time in the Gospel of John, right? He talks about himself, I am the door. You think, well, what's it? I mean, a door is kind of an ordinary 
scary thing to talk about, but there he is, right? He's the door. He's the, he's the shepherd. He's the bread of life, right? He is the light of the world. Jesus uses all of these different images of himself to, to, you know, give our imagination something to hold on to yeah. that we can hear and understand. It's a beautiful thing. And now that you talk about it, I can't, I can't get the cross out of my mind in, as a key. The cross, yeah. turn the cross a little sideways and put it in somebody's yep, hand just, and all of a sudden right. it looks like the, you know, the skeleton of a key. Mm -hmm. a little, and uh, I've seen some keys shaped kind of even in a cruciform pattern, which is really cool. I mean, yeah. I've got a, uh, you know, if, if people are watching this on the video, right, like a little pectoral cross thing kind of here oh, there it goes nope on screen there, there it is yeah nice. yeah <laughs> right? and right. you could you could easily i'm not a key maker i'm sure there's a more technical name for that but you could imagine a key maker a craftsman you know beautiful you know beautifully yeah. crafting a key that looks both like a cross and a key at the same time and uh you know as a good image of that and you've seen some different things like maybe in stained glass windows or something like that right uh, a way of yeah with the that. office of the keys sometimes you'll see how mm -hmm. they, they mm -hmm. turn the key into that the cruciform shape that's right Great. Uh, great. There, there's a beautiful follow-up to this Old Testament promise and passage in uh, in the book of Revelation. So okay. I'm going to read that one real quick because that Please one is like a lot of things in the book of Revelation, jam-packed with good imaginative theology, uh, all centered in Christ. Holy cow. I mean, that's yeah. If you talk, yeah, that's a that would be a fun. We should do that sometime, right? Look at look at some imagination things in the book of Revelation because that's the whole book, right? If you don't understand symbols and pictures and you know all that metaphor and stuff like that. Revelation is going to be kind of a, a strange thing, right? Yeah, a strange beast, right. pun intended. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what's it say there in Revelation for us? Right. So uh, Revelation 1 verse uh, 18, right? Fear not, this is Jesus speaking, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So when we think about Christ coming in Advent and Christmas and all his coming, right? His first coming in the flesh, his coming again in glory, his coming to us now in word and sacrament, uh, he is doing that opening work and specifically opening, right? Opening eternal life, closing death to us, opening the grave that we walk out with him uh, all by his promise, right? It's a beautiful, yeah. again, beautiful, comforting, rich promise. And all of these things, God's inviting us to use our imagination to do that too. Oh. We got time for maybe one more. Yeah, super. Let's look at another one that's, again, a little bit more on the, well, we'll just say a little bit more of the obscure side, right? Okay. Uh, or lesser known, right? Uh, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, right? Those kinds of things. Um, the, it's the, ah, where did it go? It's the O Antiphon for the 21st of December. So okay. kind of went in, as just, people are listening. That's right. Just kind of went in order there. Didn't uh, really plan on that, but that, it, it happened. Here's, a, here's the text of it. O day spring, splendor of light everlasting, come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Right. And uh, there, there's, again, that beautiful imagery, uh, a contrast of light and darkness. But again, not a, uh, you know, to, to show my nerdiness there, right? Not a Star Wars balance of the force, light and darkness. Because <laughs> really, if you think about it in the scriptures, dark and light are not opposites, at least not equally. Uh, because the light always casts out the darkness, right? Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. He comes into the world, John 1 talks about, you know, and John 1 is certainly in the background of this, uh, at least in the New Testament, this O Antiphon of Christ. Uh, and yet there's some really great, uh, really great Old Testament passages here too. Uh, let's see, let me flip open to one uh, 
well, I'll just I'll just kind of mention it. In Malachi 3 and in Jeremiah 23, Christ and the Messiah are foreshadowed as uh, the rising dawn, right? Or the morning star or the, the day spring, right? This idea of, again, a light dawning. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful image of Christ, you know, the, the light of resurrection, uh, the promise of Eden restored in, in an endless day. Right? This is one of the things that we, I, I think, is so comforting in Advent, at least here in the kind of the northern hemisphere. You know, the world around us is darker. Trees have lost their leaves mostly by now. It's dark, dark at least here in the northwest, around 430, sometimes earlier on a rainy day. <laughs> and, you know, it, it seems gloomy some days. And yet into this world right, comes this promise of, of light, of life, of resurrection, of the same God who said, let there be light and there was light. Now he comes as light and life to men, right? He is the dawn, the, the rising star, the, right, the, the sun of justice that Malachi brings out to bring light to us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And, and how amazing it is then that you see in, you know, like in Good Friday, for example, right? Jesus is cloaked in darkness, right? The, the wow. Darkness covers the face of the earth as he is crucified, right? The light of the world, at least for a short time, goes out, but not, not forever, right? Not permanently um, to remind us that even, right, even the darkness, uh, whether it's be from the climate <laughs> or darkness of sin in a fallen world, uh, those are not permanent. They're not everlasting. The sun, the light, right? Christ is everlasting. So this O antiphon reminds us uh, I think we just lost Reverend Schulteis there at the end. And let me uh, finalize his statement there. It reminds us of the light of Christ being in the world, that it does not go out. And I apologize for losing Pastor Schulteis there at the end, but we will uh, we'll definitely bring him back for the next show. We'll be right back for our third segment. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You know what I really love about Christmas? I love the, the fact that it's about the freedom we have as Christians. Now, there's a lot of different themes and motifs and, and different ways of celebrating Christmas. There's so much packed, you know, pop culture, all the different things, you know, the Santa Claus and the reindeer and the, the mistletoe and the holly and the snow. And, and that's just all these trappings, right? And there's also the different verses that we get each and every week of Advent as we're building up to Christmas. And there's, there's the, all the hymns and the songs and the carols, and there's so much good and bad going on here at this time of year. And in the midst of all of that, I think we can easily forget this theme, this idea, that Christmas, the birth of our Lord, the incarnation of the word of God, it is a declaration of freedom. Now, yes, we got to get through Christ's life, right? Christmas is when our Lord is born. And he's going to live fulfilling the law. And he's going to die fulfilling the law for us. And he's going to be resurrected, defeating death and live to this day. He still lives ascending to heaven, living and reigning forever reigning over a kingdom of what? Of who? 
free men, us Christians. We are free. We have been set free by the word taking on flesh, becoming personal with us, relational, and setting us free. Your God is not a God who establishes some, some policy, some ordinance, some law, and then sits back and expects you to live according to it or suffer the consequences. Your God is not some minimum wage employee at, at a department store who can't make a decision but has to go by the policy every single time something comes up. It has to just go by the rules instead of engaging you, the customer, and understanding your context and then making a well-informed decision that serves all parties. No. Your God is not some robot. We've all been turned into robots, haven't we? Behind a desk saying, that's the policy. That's the rule. I can't do anything else. That, that's just the way it is. No. Being a Christian isn't like going to the DMV where you're frustrated because there's so many governmental rules and policies that the DMV worker has to obey and follow that there is no personal anything at the DMV. There is no interest in knowing your personal context or situation, right? No, this is not the Christian life. This is the life in a fallen world. We are not a free people in this land, in this world. We love our laws and to put ourselves back under those laws, don't we? And so I love that Christmas comes around and it reminds us of the same thing that we should be reminded of every Sunday indeed every day of our life as Christians, that we have been set free from the law. Not to return to the yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1, Paul says this, right? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And even in Romans 7, we hear this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The old way of the written code. We love our written codes, don't we? We love our policies, our, our rules, our regulations, our parameters, our guidelines, our ordinances, our edicts. We love to live under these restrictions. And according to these, these orders, now I'm not against good order. I'm just against putting ourselves under laws, setting up for ourselves kings, and, and removing the freedom that we have been given as Christians. Right? This is a first Samuel issue. 
It's a first Samuel thing. Let's take a look at first Samuel and how the Israelites wanted for themselves a king. When they had God, they were free under God. And yet they wanted to live like the rest of the people of the world. They wanted to live in slavery under laws. First Samuel eight, four to 22. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now listen to this. This is what the Israelites do when they when they set up laws for themselves. They're begging for policies and and new written codes like we do so much in our society today. How many laws are on the books, right? This is what happens. This is what Samuel warns Israel about. So Samuel told all the wor words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments, equipment of his chariots. Excuse me. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel even though he warned them. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. They want to live under policies and rules and edicts and ordinances. They want the governors to rule their lives. They want to live like that. Let them live like that. Christmas, my friends, the comfort of Christmas is that we are free. You are a free person. You have been set free by Christ. This isn't a United States thing. We talk freedom and in the United States, we tend to think about it in terms of our Declaration of Independence and Constitution and all of that. And that's just delineating. That's detailing the freedoms that we have innately 
given to us by God. And the Christian understands that. We have received these freedoms because Christ died. We have been set free. Now you might say, but but pastor, we, we don't reject the commandments and we don't live disorderly lives. No, no, not at all. No. We live according to the commandments because we know that's God's will for our lives. We live that way because we want to. We don't need to be compelled to live according to this way or that way. We don't need no policy. <laughs> Sorry, that's bad English, right? We don't need no policy to tell us how to live. We want to live in a way that loves our neighbor. We want to live in a way that is holy and good, honorable. And Paul says something about this in 1 Thessalonians. To look that up. If you, if you know what I'm talking about, go ahead and DM me. 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about living according to that which is honorable, each one for himself, self-governance, personal freedom and responsibility. It's the way of the Christian. Not surprising that it entered into the American culture as so many Christians helped form our land. But let me say this. Think about our culture. Think about the way we live. Are we a free people? Or are we a policy-based people? Do we need people telling us what to do? Honest question. Think about all the different people uh, in, in how you interact with society. Think about going to the DMV. Does, does the person behind the counter at the DMV care about your personal context and situation? Or are you always frustrated because they're operating according to policies that don't take into account your personal situation? That's law for you. That's the way laws work. It is the word written that you must live by. But Christmas, Christ's incarnation is the word enfleshed. To know your personal context, to know your situation, to be relatable to you, to get in your business and hear who you are, to care about you, and to set you free to fulfill the cold, hard word, the ordinance, the regulation, to live according to it on your behalf, that you then could live freely. Not a transgressor under the law, but a free man forgiven. A Christian does not need to be compelled to do things. And I think we've forgotten that. And Christmas brings us back to that every year. And indeed, Sunday, as we hear law and gospel properly preached, as we understand who we are as Christians, and we hear about the cross of Christ, we understand who we want to be. We want to be sacrifices for others, living appropriately for them, not because we have to, but because we want to. Now, I was reading a book, kind of prompted this idea. I was reading St. Athanasius on the Incarnation. And in this book, he cites Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, God, Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. As we're running out of time here, we're coming up at the end of the hour kind of put into perspective why we like to live under so many policies. It may not seem like it at the time. 
you know, whatever the DMV clerk is saying may have seem to have nothing to do with life and death, but really law subjecting ourselves to regulations and rules. It really does extend all the way back to our fear of death. We want someone to rule over us. Israel wanted a king who would go out before them and fight the battle, who would make them safe, safe from being conquered, safe from death, ultimately. It is always about life and death. And so Jesus being born sets us free from that fear so that we don't have to put ourselves in shackles, so that we don't have to go back under the law to feel security and to escape death. Because we know, you know, Christian out there, you know that Jesus is the only way that death has been defeated. You know that you can't do anything. You can't keep a law good enough to fend off death, can you? No, but Jesus did stop death. Athanasius writing about Hebrews 2, 14 to 15 and, and talking about the incarnation of our Lord says this, for by the sacrifice of his own body, he did two things. He put an end to the law of death, which barred our way. And he made a new beginning of life for us by giving us the hope of the resurrection by man Death has gained its power over men. By the word made man, death has been destroyed and life raised up anew. Christmas. Christmas declares that there is nothing to fear. That we don't have to live under policies and edicts and or orders and laws. Death and all the things that cause it. Yeah, even COVID-19. Death has no power over you. All the things that lead to death, no power over you, including your sin, which is ultimately what leads to death, which is what brought death into this world and all of its many and various routes, pathways to your death. Jesus is the answer to all of them. The incarnation at Christmas is the answer. Jesus Christmas sets us free to be Christians. That's it for this week and for the year, my friends. Make sure to check out the rest of our programming here at KFUO Radio. We have some great stuff lined up for the 12 days of Christmas. And if you want to connect with me before the next show, you can find me at TyrellBramwell.com. There's a convenient contact button at the bottom of the homepage. Just when you get to TyrellBramwell.com, flip all the way down to the bottom of the page and you'll find the contact form button there. You can also DM me on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is always at Tyrell Bramwell, no matter what social media platform you're on. My friends, dear loved ones out there, Christians, fellow freed men, blessed Christmas to you and yours. Till next time, may the cross of Christ defend you against the assaults of the enemy. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.